Turn with your Bibles, if you would, uh, in your Bibles with me, to Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to continue in Ephesians. We'll be here for some time going forward. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Last week on our launch Sunday, which was a huge blessing from God, um, we had a good crowd, the voices singing, just like this morning, lifting up praises to God. It was glorious. And now we get to keep celebrating the resurrection every Sunday, don't we? So praise God for that. Um, this week, we're going to be in the verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. So if you would stand with me in honor of the one who gave us this word, and we'll read this this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly... You, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we can come and gather as a body. Uh, the saints coming to worship you, what a glorious sound it is that we can sing praises to you, um, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, that we can encourage each other to glorify you in all that we do. I pray that this text this morning would impact us. I pray that you would remove uh, any hindrances from me, any obstructions uh, or nerves or, or anything else that could impede your word. I pray that your spirit would apply the text to our hearts and our minds and that we would understand it together. In your holy name I pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 13, we are going to be taking a look at um, these three verses. And I, I, as I was studying this week and looking ahead to what was coming up, um, looking kind of back at Ephesians at what we've come from, up to this point we have been discussing salvation, what Christ does in the believer, um, how salvation is solely a monergistic act of God, um, how he moves by his grace to save his elect and brings them to faith in him. And it's been very much at, a, at an individual level. So we've been, been understanding Paul explaining what happens at the individual level with salvation. Now we're coming to a different perspective from Paul. So he's built on this and he comes with the first word in this verse 11. It says, therefore. So he's built this case of what salvation looks like up to this point. And now he's going to switch just a little bit and build on top of what he's talked about. And we're going to take a look at the church, the church as a whole. How does, how does salvation impact the body of believers, the saints as a whole? And so what we're going to do um, is we're going to jump in with both feet on a very high level, 30,000 foot view of God working in covenants. What it means when God interacts in human history and covenants and, and what the Abrahamic covenant means. Um, versus those who are Gentiles, because Paul uses phrasing here. He talks about circumcision. He talks about uncircumcision. He talks about Gentiles. The church he wrote to was a mixed church in Ephesus. There were some Jews, but the primary, uh, primor, ugh, primarily were Gentile. Um, this is not a good sign that my tongue's doing that already. So they were primarily Gentile. And so what Paul is trying to explain as he, we proceed through this verse and then in the next probably chapter and a half, Paul is trying to explain what it means when God's salvation comes in and unifies those who have a, a 
a wildly large gap between them, a, a, an insurmountable wall between, between two groups of people. And in order for us to wrap our minds around that, we have to understand what the covenant looks like, why God works in covenants, and how that framework helps us understand all of Scripture. Because Scripture, from beginning to end, from Genesis in the beginning to Revelation, when it says, come Lord Jesus, is about Christ and God working out his redemptive plan through him and how he interacts with humanity and human history. And that's through covenants. So we're going to be taking a look at that today. So we're going to begin with verse 11 and 12. Let me reread verses 11 through 12. My first point is first as aliens. First as aliens. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now, in this passage, the the, the subject, the people that uh, Paul is specifically addressing is the Gentiles, those in the flesh, those who were strangers to the covenant, uh, those who did not have citizenship of Israel, in fact, were considered far off as aliens outside of Israel. And to understand the true impact of those words, we have to understand what it means to be part of the covenant. So what was the covenant that, that God set down with Abraham first? What was the circumcision? What does that mean? Why do we have to talk about circumcision versus uncircumcision? What what does all that entail for us as believers? We're, we're not, most of us probably, at least in this area, there aren't any Hasidic Jews who would practice the, the Judaism as, you know, according to the Tamad or uh, Talmud, um, those kinds of things. And so when we think through, how does this impact us as believers today? Well, I think it's safe to say that all of us are Gentiles in here. It, it impacts us very, very much because had Christ not come to fulfill the covenant, had he not come to bring life to all nations, to bless all nations as God promised Abraham, we would not be in this room. We would not be here. We would not be partakers of the union with Christ. So I'm going to take us back to Genesis. So we're going to spend some time in Genesis and walk through a few places. So if you want to go ahead and, and turn to Genesis with me, Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. While you're turning there, I want to explain how God interacts with his people in covenants. And that is through what's called a federal head or a representative for those whom God is making the covenant with. And there's some covenants that we're not going to cover. I'm not going to do an exhaustive just expansion on all the covenants, but there are several. There's the Adamic or covenant of Adam. There's the covenant with Noah. Everybody remember the rainbow, what it's actually used for? Yes? Okay. Covenant of Noah. Then there's a covenant of Abraham. There's a covenant with David. And then there's a covenant of grace in Christ fulfilling those covenants leading up to that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, of things going on there, but the main point I want to bring up is that each of those covenants are named for the federal head, the one representing the group of people that God is covenanting with. So when God covenanted with Adam, Adam represented the human race. So God covenanted with Adam. And then God covenanted with Noah and said, I will not destroy the whole earth with the flood. And Noah represented the human race at that time. So that was the the head of the human race. And then we're going to come to Abraham today. And God works with Abraham as the, the federal head, the representative of the, the soon-to-be nation of Israel. 
And so God works in these covenants, and, and there's, it's been said in the covenant of works, God appears as creator and Lord, and the covenant of grace as redeemer and father. So we're going to be looking at the covenant of works, which was Adam, and we're going to look at the establishment, the beginning of the covenant of grace, as God promises to Abraham. So if you would, look at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7, and we're going to look at God narrowing down his covenant. The covenants he made with Adam and Noah were representative of the entire human race. Now he's going to take a peculiar, a particular people and covenant with them. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 says this. And Yahweh said to Abram, or Abraham, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as Yahweh had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, which was his homeland. So Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go forth to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. So he built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. So we see here an initial covenant from God. God is the initiator. So that's something I want all of us to observe. God is the initiator of this covenant. Man was not seeking a covenant with God. God came down and interacted and imposed into human history to initially initiate and bring forth and put in place and, and draw the picture of the covenant of grace that he would fulfill in Adam in the New Testament, I mean, excuse me, in Christ in the New Testament, the second Adam. And so he, God initiates this covenant. And what this does is this makes the Israelites a kingdom people. So God promised Abraham that his children, his offspring, would take over the, the land of Canaan. Give them a kingdom. They would be a covenant people, a kingdom people. But there's something to, to really notate in verse 2. It says that this offspring would be a blessing to all the nations. Now, if we think through what we might know about the covenant of uh, Israel, the uh, covenant of um, Abraham and the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel actually did not do a whole lot nationally. So when you think of the nation of Israel, they came in, they conquered their land, and they kind of stayed there, right? And so how was Israel going to bless every nation if they were a kingdom people that God covenanted with to give them this land? So what does it mean they're going to bless that whole nation, all nations? Well, this is actually the seed of Abraham is Christ, the true Israel the truer and greater Israel. And so God covenanted with Abraham to bring forth the redemption of his people, saying all nations will be blessed in him. And then we look and say, even, even here, God is saying that all nations will be blessed. And we know that in time, that blessing will come from Christ, the true seed of Abraham. Now, I know that may be a lot to, to grab onto right now, but hold on, we're going to look at other places in Genesis. Because I want us to see this as, as God works with Abraham to covenant with his people 
And to move forward in his redemptive plan, he builds and expands on this covenant to make it his way of interacting with his people and to give them a covenant sign. So we're going to look at what circumcision is. We're going to get there. So Genesis chapter 15. So turn over a couple pages. This is the next section of the covenant. This is where God is now going to place a sanction upon himself. And what a sanction is, especially in biblical times in that era, when someone would make a covenant, there would be what's called a sanction. There would be something that would occur if the individuals within that covenant did not fulfill their part of the covenant. So they did not fulfill their promise. They did not do what they were supposed to do. This sanction would be applied to them, and they would have to pay the price for that. Now, in the, the, the times of Abraham, when God made this covenant, it was normal that the stronger party in the covenant would make the greater sanction upon himself. And so we're going to see what God is saying here in a sanction upon himself. He is committing to Abraham. He is covenanting with Abraham what will happen if God does not fulfill his side of the covenant. So let's pick up in chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, or 1 through 10, excuse me. It says, After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me as I go on being childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given me no seed to me, behold, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of, of Yahweh came to him, saying, This one will not bury, be your heir, but one who will come forth from your body, he shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. Then he believed in Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am Yahweh, who brought you out of the Ur of, Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O oh Lord Yahweh, how may, I, how may I know that I will possess it? Let's pause there for just a moment. So what we're seeing happen here is that God is coming back to Yahweh in a vision. And he says, I am your shield. God says, your reward will be very great. And Abram goes, hey, you promised me, and this is going to be sometime before chapter 12, you promised me that I would have all these innumerable men or, or sons. My seed would be vast. There's going to be all these things that were going to happen. I don't have a single heir yet. And Abram basically goes, I don't know what gets. But what's, what's, how, how can I know this is true? Because God takes him out and says, do you see the stars? You're going to have more children than there are stars that can count. And you can count the stars. And Abram goes, but this doesn't make any sense. I, I, don't, I have not a single heir. And God says, I am your shield. Do you see the reinforcement of God covenanting with Abram? And it says that Abram had faith that he believed in Yahweh. So he had faith in Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. But then Abram still says, O oh Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? And so here's where God, to emphasize his covenant, to emphasize with feeble humanity that can't bring themselves to truly understand and truly comprehend what God is doing and saying, he says, do this. So pick up in verse 9, chapter 15 and verse 9. It says, So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, 
and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and split them into parts down the middle and laid each part opposite the other. But he did not split apart the birds. Okay? Jump down to verse 17 with me. Chapter 15, verse 17. Now it happened that the sun had set, and it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. So God tells Abram to go get these animals. And it was very common in those times, the covenants, big covenants, ones that had big, um, large, um, my mind went blank, so that were a big deal, okay, covenants that were a big deal, to have a very impactful blood covenant, part of blood being part of it somewhere. And so God says, go get these animals and split them in half. And there's a small portion where we jumped over it there where it talks about Abraham keeping the birds away. And here they sat. So Abram's waiting for God. And it turns dark. And suddenly there is this flaming torch. Now when we think through Scripture as a whole, right? So we're, we're interpreting Scripture with Scripture, which you always have to do. So we're in Ephesians and then we're back in Genesis and we're interpreting Scripture with Scripture. What does it mean? What does the covenants mean? And so we know that a flaming emblem like this, a flaming... A pillar of fire is a representative of what? You can answer this one. God, right? So we know God has come and appeared to Abraham and Abram and walked through the middle of these cut pieces. What that means, what that means culturally is that God is saying, so shall be done to me if I do not fulfill my covenant. So shall be done to me. God is covenanting and promising to Abram that I will fulfill what I have said to you. And by walking through these animals, I am saying, so shall I be handled if I do not fulfill my covenant with you. That is God interacting in human history. Isn't that beautiful that God would come and interact in a way that we can understand, that we can trust, and that we can have faith in him? How beautiful is that? And not only do we see the, the sections of, of here about the Abrahamic covenant building, but we even see a nod, a pointing to the Mosaic covenant. God is already preparing Abram or Abraham for what will happen to his offspring. If you jump back up and we're going to look at now verses 13 through 16 in chapter 15. So Genesis 15. Now we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 because I want us to have a good high-level overview of God building and, and, and showing us his covenants throughout redemptive history. So verses 13 through 16 says, Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will also judge the nation to whom they are enslaved, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So God, in the covenant with Abraham, is already pointing towards the Mosaic covenant. He is already pointing towards how this nation that he has chosen to be his representative, his people on earth, 
to be whom he has covenanted with to bring about redemption for mankind, for the ones that he would save, he has already laid the framework for what's to come in the future. And we know if we, if we, all of us, I'm sure many of us have looked at Exodus, we know how many years were the Israelites enslaved? 400 years. Whenever they left Israel, uh, whenever Israel left Egypt, what did they take with them? Tons of spoils, right? Tons of spoils. God told Abram his children would do this now, four centuries before it came about. As God was covenanting with Abram to bring about the Redeemer, to bless all nations in the seed of Abram, he's already pointing towards what Moses was going to do. And now we come to the linchpin of why I wanted to go back and look at this. Turn to Genesis chapter 17. This is going to bring everything into focus for us. So if you're a little confused and you're wondering why I'm going through all these details, this is it. This is where it all comes together and we understand why we have to see this covenant with Abram to understand what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. So Genesis chapter 17, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your seed after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, one who is born in the house or one who is brought with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So now we see the third interaction with Abram to fully establish this covenant. So God has come to Abram, drawn him out of his homeland, and said, I will do these things. I'll bless these nations. They shall be blessed in you. And he comes back and says, here's how serious I am. And he places a sanction upon himself by walking between these split animals. And now God comes back and now places a sanction upon Abraham. So Abram now has to show forth his commitment to the covenant by circumcising himself. Now you may say, well, I don't understand. Why, why does that have to do with the covenant? Well, if God's sign with Abram was walking through the animals, this is Abram's sign that he would follow God. That he would be in covenant with God. That he was a particular people. That he was pulled out of the rest of the world as the chosen group the chosen nation that would bring about the Redeemer in history. And it actually gives at the very last part of that in verse 14, it says, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh, that person shall be cut off. So technically speaking, those who did not want to be circumcised did not have to be part of the covenant. They could leave the covenant with God and simply not be circumcised. The The representation of Abram's commitment to God was circumcision. So now we see that the nation of Israel, the Jews, because if you look forward in history, you're going to see Abram does have a son, Isaac, who does have more children. 
who eventually becomes the 12 tribes of Israel, who goes to Egypt, comes out slaves, freed from slavery, and goes to Mount Sinai and has delivered the Mosaic Covenant, and on we go through history. So again, I promised I wouldn't go through all of that. But now everyone sees the covenant of circumcision was with God's chosen people, Israel, to bring about the redemption. And what this has done through history, through the Jewish history, is this gave the Jews a reason to add extra stuff to their dress and extra phylacteries to their, that's a real word, phylacteries to their, to their headgear and extra bells on their, their robes and all the things that makes them special. Okay, so now God, they get to look at the rest of the world and they are saying what they do is they come in and say, we are better than the entire rest of the world. Now, is that what God told Abram? That this people is better than the entire rest of the world. So what has happened is that the Jews took a covenant promise of redemption by grace from God and have turned it into an idol. And we're going to see that back in Ephesians. But I want us to understand Israel's view of themselves spiraled out of control because they thought this physical symbol in my flesh promised me that I'm right with God. And they say everyone else is wrong with God. And there's this division, this dividing wall. In fact, the Jews hated all the Gentiles and said they're all pagans. They don't know the real God. And all the pagans hated the Jews because they thought they were atheists. Because Jews only believed in one true God. And pagans at that time worshipped a pantheon of gods. There were so many of them that any group of people that worshipped only one God were considered atheists. What we would think of atheists. There was so much division, so much division between the Jews and the Gentiles based on this covenant. And that's what Paul is telling us in Ephesians. But we're going to see the glorious redemption found in Christ here in just a couple of moments. Charles Ryrie said this about the Abrahamic covenant. Clearly, clearly the Abrahamic covenant was not conditioned on anything Abram would or would not do. Its fulfillment in all its parts depends only on God's doings. So as you think through the history, and I would encourage you to go back and look at this going forward in Israel's history, Israel did not live according to not only the Abrahamic covenant, right? They, they were circumcised. But did they live to the heart of what the Abrahamic covenant was? No, of course not. Okay, excuse me. <clears throat> and then we look at the Gentiles who didn't even know about the covenant. They had no idea. The best way I can describe the circumcision versus the uncircumcision, so that the Jews and the, the New Testament church, the covenant of grace, the, the, the fulfillment of the covenant of grace is to understand it in this way. Israel was a centripetal view of God. And what I mean by that is centripetal force. Anybody know physics? Okay, centripetal force pulls inward, right? Centripetal force pulls toward. And so Israel said, guess what? We have God. Because there were, there were allowances in the covenants for people to come and be part of Israel. They just had to be circumcised, right? And then follow the law. So Israel had a centripetal view of God. We have him here. Here's our temple. Here's where God resides. Come and see. In the covenant of grace, we have a centrifugal, centrifugal, which pushes out, right? So we think of physics and it goes outward. So then the church, as a covenant of grace, the truth covenant in Christ, the fulfillment of that old covenant, 
says, take this and go to the nations. Right? So we see the difference between the covenant of Abraham, the circumcision, and the covenant of grace, where it brings in both Jew and Gentile together. So let's turn back to Ephesians. I hope I didn't lose anybody and all that, but I think it's important that we have a framework to understand God's interaction in human history in his covenants so that we can understand what Paul is saying over the next several sermons. So back in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 again. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, but a so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So now do you see the difference? Do you see what Paul is saying? So when we look back at the Abrahamic covenant, we can see the difference between circumcision and uncircumcision. We can see the difference between those who are in the covenant and the Gentiles being outside the covenant. Everybody fully embrace the division. Can I get some head nods? Do you see the division between the Jews and the Gentiles? Because it's vitally important that we understand that. I went through all that to make sure we understand the division, the intense division between Jew and Gentile. <clears throat> so not only does Paul point that out, but I want to point something else out as well. At the end of verse 11, so we've seen the division. We see what happens here with the circumcision and uncircumcision. But look at Paul's comment about those who are circumcised. He says, by the so-called circumcision, you can hear that I can hear the sarcasm, I speak it fluently, the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Did you know that the term human hands that Paul is using here is referencing idols? Every instance of the Greek words here in the original language in the entire New Testament is a negative reference, everyone. And then in the Old Testament, when you look at the idea of human hands, the reference used of created by human hands was for idols, pagan worship, and, and false gods. Paul is showing the Jews at Ephesus and the Gentiles at Ephesus that what they turned the circumcision into was an idol. That what the Jews were doing. Because remember, the, the letter of Ephesus or Ephesians was written to a group of people that were both Jew and Gentile. So Paul is clearly showing them uncircumcision cannot save you and circumcision cannot save you. And then he says in verse 13. So we're going to look at that next. Verse 13. So we've seen the alien view of the Gentiles. We've seen the futility of the circumcision that the Jews had. And when you look at Christ's life, you can see they did not point to God for their salvation. They pointed to their good works. They pointed to how much they tithe. They pointed to how often they fasted. They pointed to how loud their prayers could be. And they just said, because of our father Abraham, we are okay with God. You guys remember all those times in, in, the, in the Gospels, right? And so we see the difference here. Now, my second point. There's only two, don't worry. Now as family, now as family. So first as aliens. So the Gentiles first were aliens, but now they are going to be family. Verse 13, it reads, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They were brought near by the blood 
of Christ. So it's been well established. We have learned today that the Gentiles were far off. We know that they were outside the covenant. They didn't have any hope of any kind in God. In fact, because God chose to work through one particular nation, they had no hope of even knowing who the one true God was, except that's who kept helping Israel defeat everyone. That was their reference point. So as a Gentile worshiping a plethora of gods, what kind of hope do you have? They had no hope. They didn't even, at least the Israelites knew and had the words of God. They had the, the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books. They were able to see if God showed them, right? God works in people to understand his words. So as God showed people of Israel, this is the hope of the Redeemer. This is what you're looking towards. This is the covenant that I've made. I will bless all nations. The Messiah is coming. So at least Israel had that hope. But not all Israel did. How many of the Israelites sinned and worshipped idols and were decimated on even a single day? And so the point that I want to drive home here at the end is not to get lost in the circumcision and the uncircumcision, but to find ourselves in Christ. The Jews had no hope in that first covenant with, with just the physical circumcision. Their hope had to be in Christ. Their hope had to be in the future. Their hope had to be in the Messiah that God said he would send. Their hope had to be in what was to come. And now we as Gentiles living today, we get to look backwards in the hope of what Christ has done. What a blessing it is to have God's word. And so now we can look at the hope and rest in what Christ has done for us. And Paul makes a very interesting reference here. It's, it's many think that this reference, the way he's describing this, um, is a reference from Isaiah 57, verses 14 through 19. I'll, I'll just give you a summation because I think it's a beautiful picture. In Isaiah 57, 14 through 19, Isaiah is given a view of the dispersed Jews coming back to Jerusalem one day. And what that's going to look like. And so when the dispersed Jews, towards the end of the Old Testament, were coming back, when the second temple was being built and they were coming back to Jerusalem, they were they basically, they knew where to go. They, were, they knew where to come. I'm going to come back to Jerusalem. And Paul is using very similar wordage, uh, verbiage, excuse me, from Isaiah 57 to describe the Jews, I mean, excuse me, the Gentiles being given the truth, the map found in Christ of how to get back to God. And so the best illustration I can have is, is think of this. So if, if we have a town, we obviously we have a town, but if we're in a town and there's a special thing right in the middle and, and the people who live there, they know about where this particular attraction is, right? Some people have been there. Some people know what it's like to experience that attraction, but at least everyone in the town knows it's there. But those who are outside the town literally have no idea. Let's think pre-internet, okay? The ones outside the, the town, they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea what's in this town. They, don't, they have no hope that there's anything good in this town whatsoever. But then someone comes and reveals to them, not only the people in the town, how to get to the attraction, because there's some that do know, but they, they, they tell everyone, here's how to get to the attraction in town. And then they go out and tell everyone outside the town how to get to this attraction. And this truth starts spreading. 
And we see this going, and now everyone knows how to get to this attraction. That's what it's like for the Jews to have a, an idea of what is coming in the Messiah and the rest of the world not to. And then suddenly Christ comes and sends out his church, and the map is going out. The word of God is going out, and the Holy Spirit helps them interpret and understand that map. And everyone, both Jew and Gentile, draws to Christ as one unit, as one family. How beautiful is that? That we are found in Christ, not in circumcision or uncircumcision, not in those things that we can do, the laws that we can follow. Christ followed our law. And there's two other portions of Scripture that I want us to look at. Look at. Turn to Romans chapter 9, please. Because the first thing I want to show us is Paul addressing Gentiles. And then we're going to look at Paul addressing Jews. And then we're going to culminate all of this together back in the grace of God seen in Christ and Christ alone. Romans 9 verses 1 through 8 is what we're going to read first. And so the first portion, excuse me, I, I flipped that around. So Romans chapter 9 is going to be talking about the Israelites and that the, the law, the, the covenant uh, of circumcision uh, was not what saved them. So Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 8. It says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accused, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Pause there for just a moment. So Paul is saying the Israelites were chosen to have all of these shadows pointing to Christ. You catch that? All these shadows pointing to Christ. They'll pick back up. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's seed, but through Isaac your seed will be named. That is a reference to Christ. That is, the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are considered as seed. The physical circumcision is not what saved the Jews. It is faith in the seed that was promised to Abraham that would bless all the nations, the true spiritual seed of Abraham. And that's why Abraham's seed could not be numbered. Have you ever thought, when I was younger, you would read, I will make your nations, I will make the, the children, your children, more than the stars of the sky. And they counted them over and over. And you're like, this isn't more than the stars of the sky. It says right here how many the, the children of Abraham are. And yes, there's been centuries now. But still, all I'm saying is, you can count the children of Abraham. It may take a long time. The spiritual seed of Abraham, however, are innumerable. Because that is the, the elect of God whom he saved and promised to save in covenant with Abraham. The innumerable seed of the promise. And the Jews were stuck in the law. Romans 4 talks about the Jews being stuck in the law. Hebrews 11, 1 through 13, read that, write that down talks about them being stuck in the law. Uh, not being stuck in the law, excuse me, but that the, the men who 
we point back to as forefathers of the faith were not given righteousness because of their works or because of the covenant, because of the circumcision, but they were actually counted righteous before God because of their faith in the coming Messiah. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. Galatians 5, write that down, verses 1 through 6. Paul has a very deep discussion with the Galatians about their need to look to Christ and not the law. In fact, I'd like to read that. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. Let me read that to you. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are being justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For, you have, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are eagerly waiting for the house for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. The last verse. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. The culmination of all of this that I've explained to you today, and I hope I didn't lose anyone. I hope this is not a normal sermon that you'll hear at Grace Covenant. I'm, I try to be very careful about expositional through the text. But as we were looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and you look forward to what Paul calls in chapter 3 the mystery of Christ, we cannot understand the mystery of Christ without looking at the Bible as a whole. We cannot understand the mystery of salvation without looking at all of Scripture. We cannot understand God's plan of redemption and the true impact. How much better do you appreciate God sending Christ when you understand how far back he started this process and by his sovereignty brought it to Christ and by his sovereignty has given it to you as a believer? That is a beautiful impact. And so although this may be a 30,000 view uh, look at covenantalism, and you may not have heard this before it may be confusing talk to me afterwards that's fine but we have to have this framework to understand the entire rest of the book of ephesians because from this point going forward paul is going to reference everything to the union of christ for circumcised and uncircumcised we are the saints of god and we are unified in Christ and Christ alone the lesson we walk away from is that there is nothing that can separate the saint from another saint. We are unified in Christ. There is no skin color. There is no gender. There is no ethical background. There is no um, cultural difference. The, the true believer in Christ, the true saint of God, those who are saved in Christ are unified in him. So we as a body of, body of believers, especially as a brand new body of believers, must keep that at the forefront of all that we do. I have heard of churches splitting over the toilet paper hanging forwards or backwards. I'm not exaggerating. I've read it myself. Our union is in Christ. If God can overcome by Christ's salvation and him making people new, the insurmountable wall of circumcision and uncircumcision, he can overcome anything today. 
I want to really impact you with the, the wall, the gap between Jew and Gentile that was established. They hated each other. They refused to be around one another. In fact, think of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. Because that person that was beaten was not a Jew, every Jew passed them by. Everyone. That is the kind of animosity and hate that the Jews had driven for their physical circumcision or from their physical circumcision. So I'm going to leave you with a quote here and then we're going to talk about a couple points of application. I'll close. The covenant of grace, Thomas Brooks says this, the covenant of grace is the saint's original title to heaven. The covenant of grace, Christ fulfilling all that we see from the covenants up to the point of his death, that is our title to heaven. You, believer, have a stake, you have a deed, you have a claim to heaven because of Christ. You have a mediator there. We already talked about it over the last couple of weeks in Ephesians 1 up to this point where we are. The full power of Christ resides in us. We are already seated in the heavenly places. By his blood, we have been redeemed. It is by that grace. It is not by works. My first application point, we must be grateful. We must be grateful. There is nothing that makes one as grateful for their current state in Christ as looking back at what we were without him. Because that's what Paul begins to do with the Gentiles. Look at who you were before. Look at who you were before. You were alienated, you were far off, and you had no hope. That is what someone dead in their sins has, is no hope. Secondly, if, if you are here or you're listening to this message later on and you have not repented and placed your faith in Christ, I exhort you to do so. Because without Christ, you are still hopeless, dead in your sins, and you are aliens from God. The third thing is how grateful, how grateful should we be that we are a family in Christ in this room. We worship Christ together. We sing his praises together. We're going to come to the table together here in a couple of moments for the Lord's Supper. We who were once aliens have been made a family. And I already referenced the last point I wanted to make a moment ago was our union and our unity is in Christ. If God can overcome the Jew and Gentile division, he can overcome any, any disunity in our body. Our focus is Christ. So now that we have this framework, if you have questions, please let me know. If there's extra material you want to read to understand covenants throughout Scripture, please let me know. But now that we have this framework, this overarching theme, the biblical theology, so that's taking the Bible as a whole and making sure we understand passages of Scripture from that, we have done that today. Congratulations. If you've never done biblical theology before, it's exciting to see God move throughout all of Scripture. It really is exciting. And so now that we've seen this, we're going to come back into Ephesians next week, and we're going to move forward, and we're going to get closer and closer as Paul explains the mystery of Christ, what he did, how he brings us together. And as we continue moving through Ephesians, he's going to build off this idea of perfect union in Christ and explain this is how a body of believers unified in Christ acts 
toward the world, toward each other, towards your family. Children, obey your parents. And then he's going to culminate in how the body of Christ as a whole that has had this barrier broken down between Jew and Gentile puts on Christ to defeat, then defeat Satan and his enemies. Do you see how this framework has to be there to understand the entire rest of the book? So we've taken a pause. We've understood how the Abrahamic covenant, the circumcision, the uncircumcision impacts even where we're studying today. And so next week and going forward, we will get to look at the beauty of that unfolding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify you today. We thank you for all of Scripture that shows us your plan of redemption, that shows us the covenant that you make with your people, that shows us that you will never fail. We can see that you will never fail and that you place the sanctions upon yourself, that you, you showed the initiation in the covenant, that you are the God and sovereign one over redemption. Help us to understand the unity that we have as a body in Christ. The barriers that you broke down in Christ between Jew and Gentile is nothing compared to what we face today. And I pray, Lord, that we would have unity in you and you alone. Help us to rest in the covenant of grace fulfilled in you that was seen on the cross in the shedding of your blood, that we might rejoice as a body of saints united in Christ. In your holy name I pray. Amen.